0: Good morning, uh, my name is, is Joe Mueller. Uh, I'm one of the, the elders here, and our text today is gonna be in John chapter one. So if you would go ahead and, and turn to John one. Um, so it's, it's my, my great joy to get to, uh, get to speak from God's word, um, my honor and my privilege, and to this, this week we're closing out the, the prologue of John. Uh, And we're gonna explore this mystery uh, of the incarnation and the mission of the second person of the Trinity, the the only begotten Son of the Father. And my aim is to have us look upon the fullness of Jesus and the grace upon grace that he has for us, his children. And so if you are able, uh, would you please uh, stand for the reading of God's word? john chapter 1 verses 14 through 18 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth john bore witness about him and cried out this was he of whom i said he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me for in him or sorry for from him fullness for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace for the law was given through Moses grace and truth came through Jesus Christ no one has ever seen God the only God who is at the father's side he has made him known this is the word of the lord thanks be to god have a seat and let's pray lord as we as we come to your word this morning Uh, Help us behold the glory of Jesus. Help us see your majesty and the wonder of your name and the the goodness of your being and the, the love of who you are. Help us to see it so that our hearts may be transformed by it and our minds may be renewed by it and flowing from us will be all that you have commanded us to be as we live in gratitude for all that you have done on our behalf and so lord open the eyes of our hearts to see wonderful things from your word from your law from the goodness of your scriptures we pray this in in jesus name amen so the 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 way you should think about the prologue of of john is like a seed Uh, and inside this small tiny little thing seeds are tiny uh, it contains all the building blocks to create something significantly larger than itself. I was um, walking in today uh, back there, and I heard a lot of crunching under my feet as I crushed these acorns. Right? Acorns are tiny, but they create these huge, majestic, beautiful oak trees. And this is what the prologue is doing for us. It's liter- Literarily, it's what John has done with his prologue. He's given us the kernel, the, the, the beginning of his gospel. So naturally speaking, right, if you plant a seed in the right soil and give it the right amount of water and the right amount of sunlight, it can grow into a massive tree that for decades supplies fruit that nourishes creatures, it it provides shade that protects them from the elements and it gives branches and leaves that provide a home to gather and to flourish. The prologue of John's gospel is such a seed. It contains in these compact 18 verses uh, the germ of John's gospel. In a certain sense, as we walk through John and explore the beauty of the tree that will rise from the stump of Jesse, which we see in Isaiah 11.1, 1. and we see it reach up to the sky like a banner to gather the scattered people of God from the four quarters of the earth, that's Isaiah 11.12, will simply be expounding uh, on the ideas introduced to us in, the, in these verses. On the screen, you'll see one way that, that I'm understanding uh, the structure of these 18 verses. Um, It makes a literary mountain. There's a literary mountain here Um, as you look at the the prologue. Um, The first is that Jesus is God. We see this in verses one through two. We see that Jesus is creator. He's life and light in verses three through five. We see that Jesus was witnessed in verses six through eight. Uh, We see that Jesus came and was rejected in nine through 11. And we see that Jesus makes you his family in verses 12 through 13. And, and these literary mountains, the, the chiasms, uh, as, as they're called, they, they go up and they have a point, and that becomes the, the center, the focus point of the passage. And, and these other pieces, they build to that climax. And the climax we had last week, when, when Pastor uh, David shared about um, uh, the redemption that we have in, in Jesus and it's my, my job today to walk us down the, the other side of the mountain. And it, it, it makes sense, right, that, that the, the, the center of, of our textual mountain of, of the prologue here um, is a foundation uh, uh, that Jesus came to save a people. Uh, verse 12, but to all who did receive him who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It it makes sense that the the main point of the prologue, or one of the main points of the prologue, would align with John's aim in writing his whole gospel, which is belief in Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. John or 20:31 says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so since the main aim of the prologue is belief in the Son, and I am tasked with walking us down the other side of our literary mountain, uh, belief in the Son will be my aim as well. Belief in the Son, Jesus. So I'll start today with a question. Will you receive and believe in Jesus? But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man, but of God. Will you receive Jesus? Will you take up the yoke of Jesus whose burden is easy and load is light? Will you take up his cross, your cross, and follow him, dying daily. Upon finding Jesus in our text today, will you sell all that you have and buy up the field with the hidden treasure in it? Will you, as one as seeking the most beautiful of pearls, when you see the most beautiful pearl, will you sell all that you have to buy it? Will you have Jesus? And you might ask, who is Jesus? Who are you asking me to receive? What is he like? What do you know about him? And that's the the point of our sermon today. There are are five truths that I think our our text highlights about who Jesus is. And as I proclaim him, will you receive him? Will you believe in his name? So Spirit, help me speak and help us believe. So the the first truth that we see about Jesus in our text is that Jesus is God made flesh. We see that in in 14a. And the word became flesh. The true light, John tells us in in verse nine, was coming into the world. John, while John has no nativity, right, there's no uh, birth of Jesus, no narrative of angels proclaiming the Messiah, uh, no spirit coming upon Mary, no, uh, no version of his birth in Bethlehem. It is just as plain in John's gospel that Jesus is God. He is the covenant Lord of Israel. He is Yahweh made flesh. So who, who's the word? The word, uh, verse one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without, without him was not anything made that was made. So this word, Pastor Chris, identified for us as the, the second person of the triune God, uh, the only and eternally begotten Son, the creator of heaven and earth. This, this God, this word, became flesh. The second person, of the triune God became a, a man. It doesn't say he, he took on the appearance of a man. It doesn't say that he, um, he took on a body. It, he says he took on flesh. He took on bone and blood. and he, he took on all those things that make us human. The creating God enters his creation as a created being. The, the Lord God of all becomes the servant of all. The ineffable majesty, the undescribable deity of, of God, humbles himself to the disgrace of a cross. Paul, we, 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 just, we just read this all together, right? Paul, writing about this mystery to the church at Philippi, has this to say in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So who is Jesus? He is the servant God who humbled himself to die on a cross so that he might give to you the right to become a child of God. Will you receive this Jesus? For for those of us in Christ, right, there is a a very practical way that you can let this truth uh, grab hold of you. A very tangible way that you can bend the knee to Jesus as uh, Philippians 2 continues, right? Bend the knee to Jesus as as Lord and God and King. And it's in Philippians 2, 3 through 4. It says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Are you a follower of the God-man, Jesus Christ? Do you prize him and cherish him with your heart? Do you run to him as the fount of your joy and hope and life? Then verse four, Philippians 2, 4, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, and in humility count others more significant than yourselves, and look out for their interests. This has far-reaching implications uh, for how we actually live day to day, like ha- how, we, how we operate in the world around us, how, how we treat our families, how we, how we are at our places of work, how we are in our friend groups, in this body of believers, in your neighborhoods and communities, in this nation in which we live. That this truth should color uh, our deeply personal lives, the, the people who we live with and, and, and cherish and nurture. And uh, it should also characterize how we operate in the public sphere of common life. And, and the attitude is for our friends and family, and it is for those outside of us. And it is for our enemies. Do you need to bend your knee to Jesus? Then in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. And look out for their interests. So Jesus is God made flesh. But Jesus is also the incarnate creator, the embodying eternal one that dwelt among us. So our, our next point is that Jesus is Emmanuel, our tabernacling God. We see that in verse 14. John is the only writer in the New Testament to talk about God dwelling among us using this sort of language. He's the only, he's the only uh, writer in the whole New Testament who uses this. Um, and we see it once here in John 1.14, but then he uses it five times in the book of Revelation. He does it twice in Revelation 7.15, then in Revelation 12.12, 12, Revelation 13.6, and Revelation 21.3. And it is a word and concept that has rich Old Testament connections that are much clearer to, to John's first century hearers than it is to us. It is good that, the, that our translators say dwell among us. It is, that's, a, that's a good translation. But... Uh, It has uh, a tenty feel. Uh, It it has something that, that to a first century hearer, it it would sound very different to them and and evoke all these different emotions and senses for them. Young's literal translation, which was the only uh, English translation that I could find that, that had this word in it, it says, the word became flesh and did tabernacle among us did tabernacle. Uh, our next, this is our point, right? Jesus is Emmanuel, the tabernacling God. And this tiny phrase, did tabernacle, packs a wallop. Uh, it contains a multitude of, of theological reflections. The first is that it reinforces this idea that Jesus is the same God who delivered Israel from Egypt by signs and wonders and a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. We see that in Deuteronomy six eight. Jesus is the same God who protected uh, Israel from being run down by Egyptian chariots while they camped on the shores of the Red Sea. We see that in uh, Exodus fourteen nineteen. He is the same God who spoke in thunder on Sinai when he made a covenant with Israel. That's Exodus nineteen eighteen through twenty. He is the same God who descended onto the tent of meeting and spoke with Moses face to face. That's Exodus 33, 7 through 11. And he is the same God who filled the tabernacle with glory. That's Exodus 40, 16 through 38. He did tabernacle among us. So he dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth the, the God of the Old Testament, the, the God of the glory cloud, the God of the Shekinah glory that uh, appears to God's people is a key component of the, the presence of God in Exodus and, and all of the Old Testament. God gets glory as he defeats Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. God gets, God, the glory of the Lord was said to have dwelt in, on Sinai as Moses heard uh, the, from the Lord. That's Exodus 24, 16 through 17. The glory of the Lord passes by Moses as Yahweh speaks his name, right? Moses is in the cleft of the rock. God puts up his hand. He walks by and he says his name to Moses. He, he puts his glory on display to Moses. The glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle. That's Exodus 40, 16 through 38. So not only is Jesus identified as the God of the Exodus, He is identified with the glory of God in the Exodus. The tabernacling God is also the God who displays his glory, who, who shines forth in his being to his people. We'll learn more about how Jesus displays the glory of God as we look at the signs of Jesus and his crucifixion and his resurrection and his ascension. But for now, Jesus is the same God and has the same glory as the God of the Old Testament. The next kind of blow that, of this theological like one-two punch um, is that it expresses a truth about the mission of Jesus. His mission is to dwell with his people. Jesus wants to be with us. Jesus wants to dwell with us. There are three ways to think about this. Jesus did dwell among us. Jesus does dwell among us and Jesus will dwell among us. So Jesus did dwell among us. It's a bit what we've already seen in Philippians 2 and John 1, that Jesus' mission in dwelling among us was to make a way for his people to become children of God for the glory of God. His mission in dwelling among us is to conquer Satan's sin and death, that's Colossians 2.15, and to create a people for his own possession, that's Titus 2.15. He's transferring us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That's Colossians 1.13. And how he has accomplished this mission would be to live a life of sinless perfection and die a substitutionary death like a lamb who takes away the sins of the world, which is how John speaks about Jesus in John 1.29, John the Baptist. And he does this by dying as one cursed upon the cross for our redemption. That's Galatians three, thirteen through fourteen and first and Peter two twenty four. And he does all of this to the praise of his glorious grace in Ephesians one six. And this is the mission John's gospel records and convinces us of, so that we might believe and have life in his name. We'll learn more about this in the coming weeks. But Jesus did dwell among us. He did tabernacle among us. But the mission of Jesus is to presently dwell among us, to, to presently dwell with you. We, we commemorate this when we recite the Great Commission, and, and probably the most important parts of the, the, that Great Commission are the things that Jesus says about himself, right? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Jesus is the sovereign Lord. He is He is the ruler and reigner of everything. He is in control of our lives and our destinies and of what we will be and what we will become. The second is, and behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. Matthew twenty eight twenty. Jesus is presently with us. Jesus puts it this way in John sixteen, seven and following. Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. In verse uh, 13, he continues, When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you all that the father has is mine therefore i said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you what what is so interesting about the mission of the spirit as he comes is, is that jesus says the exact same things the exact same language about his own mission in an activity in the world so so write this down and, and read it later John 8:28. John 13:31, which is a palindrome, 13:31. Um, John 14:8 through24 and 17:4. And then compare that to John six and seven and following. And, and you'll see uh, that, that the spirit and, and Jesus have this remarkably similar mission in the world. And so Jesus is presently dwelling among us uh, because the Spirit, who is the third person of the triune God, is dwelling with us. In Christ, God dwells with you now in such a way that your physical bodies and and our joint body together, right, this church, we are literally the temple of God. We are literally the temple of God. 1 Corinthians 3, 16, do you not know that your that you are God's temple and that, that God's spirit dwells in you. And so what do you do with this knowledge that God presently dwells with you, that he presently dwells in us? So verse, 1 Corinthians six nineteen through through 20 gives us, what do we do with that knowledge? Uh, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. The knowledge that Jesus dwells in us should move us to glorify God with our body. And what are what what are some things that this means? I have two things that this that that I think this means for us. Uh, One is we glorify God with our tongues. We glorify God with our tongues. So I'm, I'm riffing on James here, James 3, 4 through 12. With our tongue, which, which James describes as the rudder of our body, the rudder like steers a ship, we steer our speech to work the flame of the Holy Spirit rather than the spirit of this age. Right? We work to... to, to fan the flame of the Holy Spirit in us and in others rather than the spirit of the sage which seeks to devour and to destroy. We glorify God with our body when we encourage and build up and enliven and nurture and give grace to our hearers with our speech, which is Ephesians four, twenty-nine. So how has your speech been this week? Have you torn yourself or others down who have been made in the image of God? Have you crushed with your words? Have you sought to harm anyone with words you have uttered? Have you gossiped or revealed the secrets of others to feed your own desire for connection and intimacy? Have you cursed anyone in anger or spoken a harsh word? Have you hated anyone with your words? God is gracious, God is forgiving, God, uh, God will, will uh, cleanse you from all unrighteousness if you run to him to be saved. And then the, the, the other side of that, right, that's all the negative things that we need to repent of, to be cleansed from, to, to, to change from. The positive that we want to put on, that we want to clothe ourselves with is, have you sought to find ways to encourage those around you? Your siblings, your friends, your parents, your children, your spouse, your co-workers, your fellow church members. Have you spoken words of life to those in your life? After service or today or this week, who can you use your tongue to build up, to encourage, to enliven, or to enlighten? Glorify God with your your tongues. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. The, the second is we glorify God with our bodies when we work diligently and for the good of others. Uh, the Spirit teaches us uh, in Ephesians 4.28 to do honest work with our own hands so that we may have something to share with anyone in need. The work we do in the world, which most of, most of us spend the major- vast majority of our time doing, right? We work, um, whether it is teaching children, or caring for a home, or helping customers, or solving problems, or keeping the peace, or fixing technology, or creating like widgets or products, or creating art, uh, or um, managing people, caring for souls, or if you're a child, learning to do all the above, right? Whatever it is you do can be done for one of two reasons the good of others or the good of me. And we glorify God with our bodies when we do our various vocations for the good of others. When we aim with our work to be able to provide for those in need. So Jesus did dwell among us. Jesus does dwell among us. And Jesus will dwell among us. There is a day coming when this is going to happen. It's it's Revelation 21, one through four. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among the people and he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Heaven, the new Jerusalem, with god among us is that for which we were created it's what we were designed for and it is coming for all who will receive jesus and believe in his name jesus is the tabernacling god will you receive him jesus is also the greatest person to live. That's our our next point, the greatest person to live. Uh, Verse 15, John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. The idea that that Jesus is before uh, another important figure in the life of God's covenant people is clear in John. Jesus is the ultimate. Jesus is God. Jesus is king. John, who, who Jesus describes in, in the other Gospels as the greatest born of woman who has ever arisen, right? That's, that's, Jesus says that about you. That's pretty cool. Like, I would, if I was John, I would feel wonderful about that statement. Um, but John uh, he also has the humility of Christ in him. And he says in 130, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. That This before me is kind of what I want us to see here. So Jesus is greater than the greatest born of woman, John the Baptist. The, the Samaritan woman in, in John 4, she asked Jesus in John 12, uh 4:12, Are you greater than our father Abraham? Are you greater than our father Abraham? He gave us the well and and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. In verse 13, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Jesus is greater than Jacob, the patriarch of Israel, because Jacob only gave temporary water, while Jesus gives water that springs up to eternal life. The Jews asked Jesus in in John 8, are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answers them in in verse 56 of, of John 8. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Talking about the, the faith of Abraham. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, which means he was a young man. Uh, so he was young. So if you below 50, you're still young, uh, according to the way the Jews talk. If you're not, I'm sorry. Um, so they think he's a young man. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is greater than Abraham and all the prophets of the Old Testament because they rejoiced to see the day of Jesus. And Jesus was before them. And and Jesus is also greater than Moses for the law, verse 17, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Well, Moses delivered the law. Uh, to the people of God, it is Jesus who brings grace. God's riches at Christ's expense, um, which I remember because of a Timothy Brendel and Shylon song, if anyone likes uh, Christian reformed hip-hop, there's an album called The Great Awakening, and the track on it is called Saved by Grace. It's the only reason I remember it. Um, God's riches at Christ's expense is what grace is. Uh, so Jesus brings grace, and the truth to the people of God, the writer of Hebrews put it this way hebrews three one through six um, sorry, three through six, therefore, holy brothers who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, consider him. the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence in our boasting, in our hope. Jesus is greater than Moses because Moses was a faithful servant, but Jesus is the faithful son. Do you receive this Jesus today? The one who is greater than any other person who has ever lived. Part of the reason Jesus is greater than all these key figures in the life of God's covenant people is because He brings with him better, uh, better gifts than what all others have brought before. For uh, verse sixteen, for from Him, uh, from His fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Words like fullness. And grace upon grace and grace and truth are applied to us with uh, the phrase, we have all received, right? They've come through. These give us a sense that Jesus brings something unique, something complete to his people. Our our next point is this, like Jesus brings grace and truth. And what's curious uh, is if you look up all the times that John uses the word grace in his gospel, all four of them appear in our text today. It's the only time John uses them in in his gospel. Verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And verse 17, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. But the notes of grace, right, this idea that God condescends, and provides exactly what we need, even though we don't deserve it, are all over the Gospel of John. They're all over it. Um, did the bride and groom, so in John two, right, there's this wedding feast, and they run out of wine. Did the bride and groom deserve the wine Jesus supplied in John two? There's a sick son of, a, of an official in John four. Did, did the official deserve to have his son healed when he was close to death? There's a paralytic uh, beside the pool of Bethesda uh, that that Jesus heals in John 5. Did did the paralytic deserve to be healed? There's 5,000 that get fed by Jesus in John 6. Did they deserve to be fed miraculously by him? The disciples see Jesus walk on water in in other uh, gospels right? he calms the storm. Did the disciples deserve to see Jesus displaying his glory like that? Did the man born blind deserve to have his sight restored in John 9? And did did Lazarus deserve to be rose from the dead? Risen? Risen? Rised? Raised? 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 Uh, And did Mary and Martha deserve to receive their brother back from the dead? Did they deserve it? Do we deserve to be nourished by the true bread of life that Jesus offers to the world in John 6, wherein he says, I am the bread of life come down from heaven. Do we deserve to be illuminated by the true light of the world which Jesus offers those walking in darkness in John 8? Do we deserve to have a true door of the sheep in which Jesus grants salvation to all who enter by it, by him in, in John 10? Do we deserve to have a good shepherd who truly lays down his life for us and knows us in John 10 and who keeps us safe in the palm of his hand? Do we deserve to have the true resurrection and the true life in Jesus given to us in John 11? Do we deserve to know the way, the truth, and the life that is found in Jesus from John 14? Do we deserve to be nourished and sustained by the true vine that causes us to bear fruit unto God in John 14? And finally, do we deserve to have the right to become children of God from John 1? Do we deserve to have the God-man, the word become flesh, bear our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to the righteousness? Do we deserve this? We do not. And yet, Jesus offers all this to us anyway. This is the grace upon grace that Jesus has for those who will receive him and believe in his name. Will you receive this Jesus this morning? Will you take his grace and truth into your heart Will you accept all that he has for you in your life? And just like yeast that goes through a lump of dough, will you let it work into your life and get into every nook and cranny of your being? Jesus' grace and truth. Because in Jesus and in Jesus alone, we have the fullest picture of God that is possible for us to receive. Uh, John 1, 18. Uh, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Our final point today is this. Jesus is God made known. Do you want to know God? Then look to Jesus. John seventeen twenty six. I have, I made them, I made known to them your name, John seventeen twenty six, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Jesus makes the name of the Father known to you, and gives the love of God to you, and He dwells with you. And all that is required of you is this: would you receive Him and believe in His name? As John one twelve tells us. Now, I'll, I'll, this is the final words. Um, Do you want Jesus? Will you receive him today? Will you take upon the yoke of Jesus because his burden is easy and his load is light? Will you take up your cross and follow him today, dying this day and every day for the sake of his name? And upon finding Jesus in our text Will you sell all that you have and buy up that field with the hidden treasure of Jesus in it? Will you, as one seeking the most beautiful of pearls, seek the beautiful pearl, Jesus, and finding it, sell all that you have to buy it? Will you have Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, The, the good news of your son is so simple. Uh, it's so uh, understandable. It's so clear that, that Jesus has made a way for us to be a part of your family. That, that Jesus has done all of the work that's required to make that happen. He has done all of the cleansing. He has done all of the redeeming. He has done all of the... Um, All of the saving, all of the the snatching out of the domain of darkness and transferring into the kingdom of light. He has done all of the sustaining that we may bear fruit. He is the the door that opened to us and he is the shepherd that leads us to to pastures. He is the bread and the drink that, that sustain us and give us life in this world. He is all that we need And we latch on to Jesus by faith. We, we grab a hold of him by saying, Son of David, have mercy on me. And, and the smallest child to the, the oldest adult can do that. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray. God, we are are so grateful for the work of Jesus. We are so in awe of his power and his majesty, of his his humility and of his love. We are so grateful that uh, Jesus has not made it hard. He is not uh, up in heaven. He is not down in the pit, but he is near to us. He is a very present help in time of trouble. He is all that we need. He is present with us even now. And so Jesus, be to us all that we need. Hold us tight in your hand and give us the strength to hold on to you. Lord, fill us with the spirit that would receive you and believe in your name. Help us to um, cast aside the sin that so easily entangles us and to, to run the race of obedience to your name and in gratitude for all that you have done for us, and so that we may honor your name and glorify your name and, and sing your praises on the mountaintops. And when we fall, Lord, and when we fail, help us to run back to the grace that set us up in the first place. Let us confess our sins freely knowing that no sin can separate us from you any longer because we are yours. And you have cleansed us from all unrighteousness. And you have picked us and you have called us out and you have made us yours knowing everything that we would ever do because you are God and you know all. And so Lord, thank you. Thank you that any conviction of sin that we have is from your spirit. And that any ability to pursue you in holiness is a gift from you. And so, Lord, give us these gifts. Give us your spirit. Help us to confess sin more and repent of sin more and to live more holy and pure lives in response to the the goodness of your gospel. Thank you that this is a message that anyone can hear and understand and believe. From the, the youngest of us to the oldest of us. Lord, continue to do your work in our hearts.